Good morning. I contemplated uh, driving in today. Should, should I say Happy Halloween? Um, some of you, you know, will be offended, I guess. So Happy Reformation Day uh, for those of you, you know, Martin Luther fans. Okay. Uh, uh, anyway, it's good to be with you uh, again. Good morning. Uh, today uh, we are once again. Uh, working through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, known as Philippians. And so if you have your Bible with you, I hope you do, uh, turn with me to chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Uh, what we're going to see the Apostle, Apostle Paul do in our passage today um, is encourage us. He's going to encourage the church to keep persevering, uh, to keep pressing ahead to keep going, to keep trusting Jesus. That regardless of what you're facing today, uh, regardless uh, uh, of the difficulty or the disappointment, no matter the sin or suffering, he's going to tell us, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Keep trusting and treasuring Christ because he is worth it. That's Paul's message. And so, Uh, Maybe you're here today uh, and you find yourself in a season uh, where you're discouraged. Uh, Maybe you feel stuck uh, in your walk with Christ. Or maybe uh, you're just in a place right now where you're indifferent uh, to the things of God. Uh, Maybe you're in a season of confusion right now. Maybe it's a season of uh, disappointment. Uh, or maybe, maybe through this COVID season, this is ha- has been a time for you of becoming more and more enamored with the things of this world and less so with Jesus. Listen, listen, if you can relate to any of those things, or if you've ever related to any of those things, or you're going to enter in a season like that, today is for you. Uh, I believe that the Lord has a word for you today. Uh, now, I want to make sure that before we go too deep into our passage today, that we understand the flow of this letter, where Paul has has taken us and where he's going. And so Paul says in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I uh, press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And the natural question that, that comes from this is, what is the this and it that Paul is pressing on to make his own? Well, if you remember the passage we studied uh, two weeks ago, uh, right before this, Paul answers that. It was in verse 8, right? And you can look ahead. It's not on the screen. Look before. Verse 8, Paul says, I count everything as loss, Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? Why? In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Or verse 10 and 11 says that I may know him. Skip down verse 11 and what? And attain the resurrection. Paul is saying here, bottom line, I want to know Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. And so now in verse 12, when he says, not that I have already obtained this 
or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He's saying, I'm not perfect right now. I'm not with Jesus, but that's the goal. That's the goal. Paul says, my goal is to fully know Christ and to fully be with Christ. That's the this and it he's referring to here. This is the prize, Paul will say, the prize that he is after, which is why he told us in chapter 1, verse 22, what? To live is Christ and to die is gain because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is better. With Jesus, we have everything we could ever want, everything we could ever need. And so Paul says, I press on to make it my own, namely to make Jesus my own, to be with him, to be like him. And, and why? Why does he do that? Right? What's, what's motivating Paul to write these words to the church? Well, he tells us, he says back in our text at the end of verse 12, he says, it's because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's what he says. So that's the summary of the entire section that we're looking at here today. And there's both an exhortation okay, and a motivation here. Paul encourages us to press on, to, to know Jesus more and more. There's an encouragement to do that. But then he also gives us the motivation behind that pressing on, namely that Jesus has made us his own, that we should strive, listen, that we should strive to make Jesus our own because he has made us his own. And so today we're going to deal specifically with the motivation in verses 18 through 21. We're going to consider today what it means that Jesus has made us his own. Okay, what does it mean that Jesus has made us his own? And then next week, we're actually going to circle back around and deal with the encouragement, the exhortation in verses 13 through 17, right? So we're sort of working backwards. Um, We're going to talk more specifically next week about what it means to press on, specifically, what does it mean to press on in light of everything that Jesus has done for us, okay? So that's where we're heading the next two weeks. But back to today. So Paul here in this section is motivating us. Again, he's encouraging us to to lean in, to to strain forward, to keep going. And what we're going to see today is that he does so, he does that, he motivates us in two ways. By describing who we are without Jesus— who we are without Jesus, and who we are in Jesus. They're connected, but there's a contrast here. And so we're just going to jump right into this. There's a lot to cover today, and so follow along with me. Um, The first section we're going to look at is who we are outside of Jesus. Who we are outside of Jesus. And just as a a forewarning here, okay, give you a disclaimer. Um, This section here um, is... It's pretty bleak, okay? And so if you are newer to this gathering or maybe newly watching online, maybe, maybe you're here today watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus right now. Maybe you're just kind of checking out Christ. You're kind of wondering what this is all about. I want to, again, warn you, um, this might be really harsh. This is going to be really harsh. 
And so I just ask that you bear with me uh, through this first section. So, so this is what it means to be outside of Christ. Paul says this in verse 18. Look at it with me again. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so right here we see that, this is important by the way, that, that Paul is not coming at this. His approach is not someone who is emotionally disengaged or, or with a spirit of judgment and condemnation, but in deep compassion, with tears in his eyes, he tells us he is broken over this reality. The reality of what? He says, many, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so what does that mean? Who are these enemies? Well, um, there is some scholarly debate on that, but regardless of who Paul might be referring to specifically in Philippi, ultimately the specifics don't matter. Because in the end, what Paul is describing to us here is every single human being's condition outside of a living and active trust in Jesus. Again, this is harsh, but he's saying, he's telling the reader, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is who you are. You're an enemy of Jesus Christ. Now, our opposition to him can look uh, a lot of different ways. I think when when we, um, in our context, when we think of an enemy, we typically think of people who are like hostile, right? Violent. Um, extremists, right? But, but while that can be true, I think enemies of the cross, enemies of the gospel, enemies of Christ, particularly in our context, it just looks like indifference, a, a refusal to trust Jesus. Enemies of the cross are, are those who want to be what they want, to do what they want, and don't want to be bothered with Jesus. Uh, They don't want Jesus interfering with their lives unless it fits their agenda and their plans. Oftentimes, it's a person, they're good with Jesus being their Savior, but they don't want to bow down to Jesus as their Lord. And let's keep in mind as well that by nature and choice, we don't trust Jesus and we don't love him. No way. We walk in opposition of Christ, or to Christ and his ways, actually. And so Paul says that makes us enemies of the cross, enemies of Christ. And many, he says, many walk that path. They are indifferent to the things of Jesus. They're indifferent to the ways of the gospel. And then Paul goes on to say their end is destruction. So if you want to know what it looks like or How do you define a person who is outside of Christ? They're enemies of the cross, and their end is destruction. Again, this is really intense. But again, let's remember Paul's tears here. Let's remember that. His heart in this, in this communication, is one of compassion. And I pray that mine is one of compassion today as well. This is here in God's word to to both warn us, but also to help us. But Paul here says that those who walk outside of Jesus, he says, their end is destruction. 
which is another way of saying they will face eternal judgment. And that is so offensive in our world, isn't it? And honestly, I was thinking about this, even writing this sermon, I was thinking, um, this is not a biblical truth that I enjoy. Like if I was God, had it my way, this might not be the case, right? It's not one I enjoy. It's not one I even prefer to teach, right? I would prefer that this wasn't true, but, but I have to, we have to be humble enough to say, it really doesn't matter what we prefer or even what we think. Our job, our job as followers of Jesus is to rearrange our hearts to transform our minds around what God says is true. And this is what Jesus says. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy. That leads to what? Destruction. Same word there, by the way. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard. That leads to life, eternal life with Jesus, and those who find it are few. Or in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 49, he says this, so it will be at the end of the age, the last day, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are so many more examples I could have drawn from, but again, these are Jesus's words, not mine. (laughs) And he could not paint a, a bleaker vision. It's almost too horrible to even consider the awful reality that awaits those who stubbornly resist God and his grace and instead choose to build their lives around themselves. Judgment day is coming. And on that last day, no one, no one is going to be shaking their fist at God saying, how could you? You have no right to do this to me. Everyone is going to be saying, you are right. And all your ways are just and true. For those outside of Jesus, their end is eternal separation from God. And then Paul continues, third, third sort of characteristic of these people. He says, their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. Interesting phrase. The word belly there, it's the word for um, appetite, okay? Appetite, and not like food as much. It could be. Your God might be food, okay? But, but appetites, desires. So Paul is saying, outside of Jesus, we primarily pursue our own appetites. We pursue, we go after our own desires, the things that we adore, the things that we believe will bring us the most joy, the things that we, we most treasure. Our God, in other words, is wherever we place our hope or, we, or where we believe hope is found. And if that's not Jesus, if that's not Jesus, it will be our appetites, our desires, Our emotions, it'll be our emotions that rule and dictate our lives. And so these people, these people, Paul says, they end up being ruled by what they want and how they feel. 
their desire or the desires become the final determiners of what they believe is true and what they believe is false, what they believe is right and what they believe is wrong. And so people outside of Jesus, they're not only enemies of the cross, not only is their end destruction, not only is God uh, their God, their appetites, but also, Paul says, they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. And what this simply means is the, the very things that we should be ashamed of, we are proud of and boast about. Um, Isaiah would say this. He'd say, it's calling evil good and good evil. And of course, right, of course, we know this if we belong to Christ. We should be ashamed of our sin, ashamed of our lack of trust in him. We should be ashamed of our rebellion against him, right? We should be ashamed of our lack of treasuring Jesus. But those who are outside of Christ, they're indifferent. There's no concern. There's no care. They boast in their sin, right? They know God's will. They know God's ways, but they take pride, actually, in going their own way. Right? Paul says in Romans chapter 1, these people are filled with unrighteousness. They covet. They are full of anger, strife, deceit. They gossip. They slander. And therefore, he says, they are foolish, faithless, and heartless. Right? Bottom line, bottom line, this is a person whose life, whose life is centered on the self. Centered on the self. Um, and I don't think at least, like, I, don't think, I don't know if there's ever been someone um, who was all these things all the time, like all at once. Right? But, the, but the reality is we are these things some of the times, aren't we? <laughs> this is who we are apart from Jesus. And then finally, he says, outside of Christ, their minds are set on earthly things. The Bible uh, refers to this or calls this worldliness. Worldliness. That outside of the gospel, we have nothing else actually to set our minds upon. And since we, since we trivialize God, what do we do? We make much of the world. Right? We turn away from God and we turn to what? Always, it's man, ourselves. Which means, which means that our attention, our point of view, our perspective, everything about us is world-centered. Right? Our focus is on this world and what the world values. And so what really gives us meaning and value and comfort and security and hope is what the world offers us. Things like uh, my marriage or retirement, life going my way, having a beautiful home, having a nice car, having a certain body type, having the right kinds of friends. Right? Jeremiah chapter 2 describes it like this. He says this, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Is he trying to get your attention? I think so. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Look at this. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, 
and hewed or dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Um, I don't know if there's a better definition of sin in all of the scriptures. This is a good one. Jeremiah is saying, he said, that instead of being satisfied in God, with God, the fountain of living waters, we insist, we insist on carving, digging out our own wells that ultimately can hold no water. And listen, if we give our lives to this, this false refreshment, false hope, false wells, false life, God promises us that we will only be left empty. This is extremely humbling, but also very honest. And so this is who we are outside of Jesus. I have to be, be careful, but, but hear me. The Bible does not say that we are wonderful. The cross is not a sign, a symbol of our beauty and our potential. The cross is a sign of the depth of our brokenness and sin. Have you ever thought about it? We are so bad so depraved, so wicked, that God had to become man and die for us. Did you grasp that? That's what the cross means. And even more, we cannot rescue ourselves from the hopelessness of this condition. We can't rescue ourselves from making gods of our desires of glorying in our shame, of setting our minds on earthly things. Those whose end is destruction cannot rescue themselves, which is why from the very beginning of the word of God, in Genesis chapter 3 onward, it says, it declares to us, we need a savior. We need new hearts. We need new minds. We need the ability to, to really see, to really hear, to really be set free. Right? We need a divine intervention. So that's the, the first movement, who we are outside of Christ. Right? And it's sobering, isn't it? It's dark. But of course, we know stars shine brightest against the darkest sky. And Jesus, of course, shines brightest against the darkness of our need. And so Paul shifts. He shifts to what is now true of those who belong to Jesus through a living and active trust. And we see this starting in verse 20. He says this, But, but, one of the most relieving words in all the scriptures, right? <laughs> but our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What's so stunning about the gospel 
What's so incredible about this good news of Jesus is that he didn't come for a different subset of people other than the ones that we were just describing. He came for those people. He came for those that have their bellies as their God. He came for those who who glory in their shame. He came for those who have their minds set on the things of this world whose end is destruction. He came to those, for those you'd least expect. He came for us. This is the heart of King Jesus. He leaves the 99 to go after the one that's lost. He goes to those without hope, the lame, the sick, thieves, the greedy. Jesus meets the foreigner, the outsider at the well. He bends down, lowers himself to help the woman caught in adultery. Over and over and over again, we see this heart that the very last people that we'd expect Jesus to go to, he goes after. Not because of our works, or again, because we have lots of potential, but because he loves us. And he loves us. Jesus loves us because he loves us. (laughs) And remember, remember what Paul is doing here. He's reminding us of the promises and the provision of God in Jesus. Why? to motivate us to press on, to motivate us to not get discouraged, to motivate us, to encourage us, to to keep trusting Jesus, to keep finding him worthy. And he gives us a few reminders. He says, to those who belong to Jesus, he tells the church, remember your citizenship. Remember your citizenship. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. In Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 19, Paul says similarly, he says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but in Christ you are fellow citizens. Or in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says this as well. He says, He, being God the Father, has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And so for those of us who who trust Christ, those who belong to Jesus, they receive, what this is telling us is that they receive, we receive a new identity before God. A new identity. And and think about this. I was thinking about like identification. Think about like when you're at the airport or I don't know, uh, you know, you go out, someone asks you for an ID. I need to see your ID. Um, what are they doing? They're typically, they're typically asking you to show them a card, right? Um, a, a card that displays to them objective facts, hopefully they're facts, right? That are true of you, right? Things, your identification card displays things that identify you as you, describe you as you. And so Paul tells us here, in Jesus, we receive a brand new identity, a whole new set of facts that are true of you, apart apart from anything that you have done, but are because of everything that Jesus has done for you. And this ID says that you are forgiven, adopted, and accepted, a new creation, members of Christ's body, 
that you are part now of the redeemed family of God, a citizen, again, a citizen of the kingdom. Jesus lived, died, and rose again to defeat Satan, sin, and death for you and I, people who are running from God in order to make us citizens of his kingdom forever. Which means, which means if you are in Christ today, you are primarily not a resident of Korea. You are not primarily Asian or European or African or Canadian or American. You are primarily a citizen of the kingdom of God. And because that is true of you, it means that King Jesus is absolutely, totally committed to you. That as citizens together, Jesus is totally committed to us, his church. We belong to his country, if you will. And that should give us comfort, peace, security, assurance, courage, and boldness. That when our lives go away, when they go sideways, when we find ourselves amidst trials and difficulties, when we face disappointments and they will come, Paul says, remember, remember, you are backed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He says, remember your citizenship. For those who belong to Jesus, remember your citizenship. Paul also says, number two, remember, remember Jesus is coming back for you. Jesus is coming back for you. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And then look what it says. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Bottom line, Jesus is coming back again. The first time we know Jesus came as a humble, marginalized, Galilean, itinerant preacher, right? But he's coming back again. He's coming back again as the king of kings in all of his glory. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 10 says that he will come and on that day he will be glorified in his saints and be marveled at among all who have believed. Listen, all of human history, all of it, despite what the news says, your history books say, all of human history is barreling down, moving towards this day when the people of God will be with Jesus and marvel, be in awe of his majesty. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 3, I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. What a promise. This is promised language, right? But he's not taking us to another place. He's actually going to redeem the entire created order and usher in new heavens and a new earth here. Revelation 21 says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, 
and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Again, promised language, right? He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. I think just because of the nature of the text, I was, I was thinking about this, and I, I realized I, I need to wonder about this so much more. I found myself wondering, once again, what that day will be like. We don't know when he's coming back. No one knows. But, maybe after decades of following Jesus, Maybe after a lifetime of ups and downs, successes and failures, heartache and hope, disappointments and joys, what is it going to be like to see him? Think about all that we experience throughout this life. Not just in a month, Just think throughout the course of your life, everything that you've experienced. Or your friends or family members. Illnesses. Financial issues. Relationship struggles. Entangled in sin. Addiction. Failed marriages. Maybe having kids that you raise and you train, you love, you pour into, and then they they grow up and they decide to walk away from Jesus. Jesus losing a dream job, or, maybe worse, getting that dream job only to find it's not what you thought it would be. Abuse, miscarriages, the loss of family members, the loss of friends, doubting your faith, being misunderstood, slandered, gossiped about, wrestling with deep depression, crippled with anxiety, Right? Life is just filled with all sorts of twists and turns. And through it all, we are hopefully, as followers of Jesus, we are hopefully learning, learning more and more that Jesus is enough, that he is good, he is true. It's, it's hard, but he is beautiful. I'm struggling with this, God, but you are all that matters. And then, and then, try to imagine Then, on that day, you see him face to face for the first time. Imagine the flood of emotions. They're just going to rush through you in that very second. For the first time, when you meet each other's eyes, you look into the eyes of Jesus, and he tells you, I've come for you. I've come to bring you home. What will that be like? Jesus is coming again. He's coming for those who belong to him. And so when life is filled with distractions and temptations and uncertainties, remember, Paul says, we await a mighty Savior, and he is coming. We continue with Paul. 
Maybe we could just stop there. But he keeps going. Number three, remember the coming resurrection. It gets better for you and me, hopefully. (laughs) Remember the coming resurrection. He says in verse 21 now, he says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So this here, this is Paul talking about the resurrection, our bodily resurrection. That that when Jesus returns, on that day when he returns, he will give his people new resurrected bodies that are both like and unlike our current bodies. I'm so excited about this, right? Because even though I, I think, at least I think, I convince myself I'm still pretty young, my body is already falling apart. Falling apart. I wake up now and I'm like, oh, what is that? Like sore, you know, you know, some of you understand. Some of you have no idea. It's coming soon. Okay? I remember the first day I woke up and I was like, what is going on, you know? It's like playing tennis and like injured. And then it was like, when I played tennis in high school, it was like ah, two days of icing and I'm good. It's like six months later, I'm like, what is going on? Slowly body, come Jesus, quickly. Right? right? This new body, though, is going to be unlike our body in that it's going to be perfect and more real and more beautiful. But it's going to be like our body in that we can eat, we can drink, right? we can laugh. We're going to be able to recognize one another. And we know that because that was the case with Jesus' resurrected body. Right? And when is that going to happen? Right? When is that going to happen? Well, this is at Jesus' return, on that day when he returns to bring us home. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17 says this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So when Jesus returns, Paul says the dead in Christ will rise first. They will receive their resurrected bodies. Those who have died passed away before the return of Jesus. And then he says, those who are alive at the day of the Lord, at the coming of Christ, they will then rise and they will be transformed. And so it's at that moment we will have a perfected soul, perfected body, and be in perfect communion with God. Again, no more sin, no more death, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more pain, doubt, fears, tears, no more failure, no more repentance, no more lack of peace, joy. It's perfection, full goodness with Jesus forever. Right? That's why the Apostle Paul, a lot of Paul today, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, No eye has seen No ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And then Paul closes, he closes this this section here in Philippians chapter 3. He closes it all by saying this. He says, if you're wondering how Jesus is going to do all this, because it seems pretty extreme, doesn't it? 
for those outside of Christ, what he's going to do, and for those in Christ, like everything he's going to do. So in case you're wondering, he says this, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul is simply saying this, that by by his power, Jesus created all things, sustains all things, and, and by his power, now all things report to him. That's what it means, that they are subjected to him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, tells us that he, being God, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen, Jesus literally doesn't even need to lift a finger to sustain and hold together the universe. This is the sheer power of Jesus Christ. And that power, that same power, he says, will raise our bodies to be like his. Perfect. Again, if he can hold the universe together, he can raise your body in the resurrection. And by the way, he's already proved he can do this through his own resurrection, right? That's why we are so certain and can have, find assurance and peace and comfort that we will be resurrected because he resurrected. So look, Jesus, you know this, but let me remind you, Jesus is not weak. He's not insufficient, unable, or limited. He is the sovereign Lord of the entire universe. Right? There's no higher name than the name of Jesus. So hear me, hear me on this. When your life is filled with anxiety and doubt and despair, right? when you lose your hope, keep going. Remember the coming resurrection and Jesus' incomparable power. Well, we pull all this uh, together now and, and try to land the plane. Paul is, we know here, sum this up, Paul is encouraging the church. He's encouraging the church. He's motivating us to lean in, to strain forward, to to keep going by telling us that in Jesus, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are an embassy of blood-bought saints. In Jesus, we have the sure and certain promise of his return. The Savior will come for those that he has saved. In Jesus, we have the guarantee of a new resurrected body. We will be with him, perfect forever. And all of this will take place through his unsearchable and unmatched power. Jesus has made us his own. So let me ask you this morning, you've been listening today, what it means to be outside of Christ, in Christ, you're listening today, let me ask you, what is true of you? Where do you find yourself today? Are you outside of Christ? Or do you belong to him? Not by your own definition, by the word of God's definition. Are you an enemy of the cross? Or are you a child of his promises? 
Will you be with Jesus in perfection? Or is your end destruction? My prayer for all of us, maybe for the first time, maybe some of us are here today watching online and you realize you need to go back to Christ. My prayer is that we would continually find ourselves running to Jesus, the fountain of living water, that we, all of us, we would stop trying to dig out our own wells, stop trying to find other sources of hope, of joy, of peace, and of life. That we would continually choose to stay close, stay near to Jesus, knowing that his well never runs dry. He is good. He is faithful. He is worth it. And so let's strive, church family, let's strive to make Jesus our own because he has made us his own. Let me pray for you.